And yes, we are back with you here on The Punch-Out, March 1st, 2021. Starting out the month, as we start out the week, very happy to be with you. Great stuff, as we always do for you here on the show. We're going to be talking about some myths as it concerns issues of China and Africa and debt. We're also going to be talking about Joe Biden and his kind of sort of support for the union drive amongst Amazon workers in Alabama. But before we get to either of those two important stories, we want to talk about the 2 billion people that have been served by Cuban medical brigades. In its six decades of existence, but the vast majority of it, I have to say, in the past about three decades, Cuba's international medical brigades have served 2 billion people Another way to put it is that means that a number of people that is roughly equivalent to one-third of the Earth's population have been attended to by a Cuban doctor. Two billion people served over six decades by Cuba's doctors. Now, technically, they have reached 1.988 billion people. So, you know, forgive me there, but I think that's a fine distinction to make. Almost two billion people. They've performed 14 and a half million, 14 and a half million surgical operations and 4,470,000 deliveries of babies. They've also directly saved 8.7 million lives. 14 and a half million surgeries, 4.4 million deliveries of babies and 8.7 million lives saved by Cuban doctors and the 2 billion people they have served. Overall, Cuba has been present in more than 150 countries serving those 2 billion people, and there have been more than 420,000 Cuban health professionals that have participated in these medical missions. Now, Cuba has about the same population as Belgium, the European country. Cuba has a GDP that's more than five times less than Belgium, and Belgium has never done anything like what Cuba has done in the public health arena. Really, no other country on earth has even really come close to what Cuba, an embattled island nation under one of the world's toughest blockades with only 11 million people, what they have done when it comes to healthcare. Really, no comparison. Currently, more than 30,407 Cuban health professionals are in 66 nations distributed in both permanent medical medical brigades and the Henry Reeve contingent. And those are specially dispatched brigades around specific health issues. Like, for instance, the 265 Cuban doctors who went to Sierra Leone, Liberia, and Guinea-Conakry during the Ebola epidemic in 2014. Now, it's also worth noting that there were 12 thousand doctors who were ready and prepared in Cuba, standing by to go into the hot zone for Ebola in West Africa if the outbreak had expanded. Thankfully, it did not. That's a scale of potential response much higher than what any other nation 
or the United Nations or any NGO was offering in the midst of that crisis. They had 12,000 people willing to go right into the hot zone of one of the deadliest diseases known to man. In Pakistan in 2005 and Haiti in 2010, Cuban doctors were the first major medical forces on the ground after earthquakes and the first to take on the cholera epidemic in Haiti caused by UN occupation troops. That's right. 2005, 2010, two of the biggest earthquakes we've ever seen. Cuban doctors in Pakistan and Haiti, first on the ground. Thousands of Cuban doctors are fighting COVID-19 around the world right now. And Cuba, again, an island of 11 million people, has arranged to make 100 million doses of its COVID vaccine available this year. So you can see it's not primarily for them, it's for the world. And yet this is a country that the United States, both major parties, wants to maintain a brutal blockade policy against, a policy that tries to destroy the nation's economy, force them to change their government. And if you ever needed a reason to understand how amazingly cruel that policy is, how amazingly cruel that policy is. You just have to look at what we have laid out here today, that despite having some of the least resources in the world, Cuba has mounted the most successful mass public health intervention of any country on earth and has done it over decades. Just another example that cooperation, not blockades between the U.S. and Cuba, could certainly help people in this country, but certainly could improve the lives of billions around the world. How do we know? Because without the resources, amidst the blockade, they've already done it. Unions put power in the hands of workers. They level the playing field. They give you a stronger voice for your health, your safety, higher wages, protections from racial discrimination and sexual harassment. Unions lift up workers, both union and non-union and especially black and brown workers. Well, that was President Joe Biden speaking there over the weekend in favor of unions in general. But clearly in some, uh, it was something of an oblique reference to the struggle of Amazon workers at a warehouse in Bessemer, Alabama to unionize. The union drive is ongoing for a few more weeks now, and 6,000 workers are being asked to vote on whether or not they will have a union from the uh, there in that warehouse. And it really has become the central labor story in the United States. Amazon is a notorious anti-union employer. They've got a record of extremely unsafe working conditions and unfair pay and benefits. And the union election is seen rightly as a bellwether of the state of employees pushing back all around the country against roughly 40 years of wage stagnation, despite productivity being up. In other words, workers are making no more money than they did roughly 40 years ago, despite producing significantly more goods that can be sold for profit. Biden, in his address, however, did not mention Amazon directly. He even said, quote, not, uh, it's not up to me whether anyone should join a union, end quote. It's pretty tepid language for someone who aggressively campaigned on being a pro-worker president. He did, however, deliver a message against the union-busting tactics of corporations in general. And Amazon has been front and center of that issue as well recently. Their tactics, underhanded tactics, we should say, have included relentless harassment of workers by text messages, uh, putting anti-union messages uh, up on the doors, uh, the stalls of the bathrooms, going as far as changing traffic lights in front of the place to make it harder for organizers to talk to workers coming and going to and from work. As such, Biden's message has been widely reported by the mainstream media as outright support for the union drive, even though his statement clearly avoided 
giving outright support, which if nothing else is a sign of how clearly Amazon is tied to the worst union-busting practices and how much the struggle in Alabama has become a stand-in for labor struggles in general. That just a statement that's even in the ballpark of being halfway support for the union drive was immediately portrayed as a veiled statement of support. Amazon has unleashed a huge PR campaign recently and certainly no surprise because as I said, they're right in the center of everything here. They've now tried to reinvent themselves as a major supporter of the Democrats' plan to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour. Obviously a cynical maneuver designed to make them look pro-workers' rights to head off a union effort that could force them to raise their wages even higher uh, than, uh, than they are saying that they might in this $15 an hour. Although Amazon claims they pay basically that anyway. But just think about it like this. For every single parent anywhere in America, $15 an hour is still a poverty wage. So it ain't like Amazon is talking about anything significant here. If wages and the minimum wage kept up with where it, uh, uh, productivity had gone since 1968, it'd be over $20 an hour. So Amazon is reinventing themselves as for $15 an hour because they know that the alternative is a union which will make sure that their sky-high profits don't just go to Jeff Bezos, but go to wages that are undoubtedly higher than $15 an hour and better benefits. So when you look at it that way, Biden is right. You are better off with a union. And that's something you can see very clearly when you look at some statistics from uh, some statistics from Montana. Why do I say look at statistics from Montana about unions? Well, right there in Montana, they're trying to pass a right-to-work law designed to cripple unions. So it's a perfect example in real time of how unions actually help people and attempts to uh, destroy them are designed to ruin people's lives. Right now in Montana, the median hourly wage of union workers in is um, $22.85. So if you're in a union, average wage or median wage, $22.85, compared to $16.95 for non-union workers. And it's also worth noting, in right-to-work states, both union and non-union workers make about 3% less on average. So obviously, in Montana, they're launching this attack on workers because most big businesses and many other businesses who are against this, uh, or for this, rather, this right-to-work move, don't want people to be able to make $22.85. But it goes on, since the Great Recession, median wages have grown faster in Montana than any of the right-to-work states uh, around them. That's grown 12.9% Till from 2007 to 2019 in Montana, 8.2% in the surrounding right-to-work states. So they say, well, you don't want a lot of unions because it brings down uh, all the whole economic conditions. Well, the right-to-work states, again, 8.2% rise in wages, 12.9% rise in wages in Montana. Also, private sector job growth in Montana, higher, higher by 2% than in the right-to-work states surrounding it. So despite the fact that they say unions are bad for business in Montana, which is surrounded by right-to-work states, people are getting paid more than they did in 2007, and there are also more jobs than there were in 2007 in comparison to the neighboring states where right-to-work is there. So bottom line is this. Bottom line is this. From Alabama to Montana, it's 100% clear. Wherever you are, you are better off with the union. And hopefully workers at the Amazon warehouse in Bessemer will just add even more evidence to prove that's true. Well, one of the main charges thrown at China by those looking to blacken the reputation of the People's Republic 
is that China's trade policies with Africa are creating amounts of debt so huge the Afri- that African nations can never pay them back, which then, of course, will allow China to transfer uh, the many resources as collateral into their own hands, giving the Chinese government controlling influence in the internal affairs and the economies of these African countries. It's the so-called debt trap diplomacy, that China giving out loans and the like is all just one big uh, scam to be able to take over Africa through loan collateral. A recent study from Johns Hopkins University, however, concluded that this is a myth and that there is no evidence China aims to deliberately push poor countries into debt as a way of seizing their assets or gaining a greater say in their internal affairs. No evidence. That's from a South China Morning Post summary of the report. The report is from the China Africa Research Initiative at Johns Hopkins University that has scrutinized thousands of loans over years and again found no evidence China is aiming into any sort of nefarious undermining of Africa by loading them up with debt. And in fact, they note that much of the uproar around the issue is created by political campaigns where evidence-free claims are made to rally opposition uh, against various African ruling parties. Deborah Browdingham, sorry if I mispronounced that, is a professor of international political economy at Johns Hopkins University, the founding director of the China Africa Research Initiative, often known as CARI. She told the South China Morning Post explicitly that she considers the debt trap narrative a myth. Kevin Acker, who's another Kerry researcher, stated flatly in a study from the second half of last year, quote, Chinese actors do not seize assets in response to debt repayment issues. Do not seize assets in response to debt repayment issues. He also notes in that same study, quote, our research at the China Africa Research Initiative shows that when countries have trouble repaying their loan to China, rather than suing them in court to seize assets, China provides debt relief, end quote. Kerry has noted that the most celebrated example of so-called debt trap diplomacy, the supposed seizure of a Sri Lankan port by China in 2017, was in fact not true. It was just not seized by the Chinese government due to debt relief. Now, of course, all of this research will do nothing to stop the accusations being thrown around. And that really is something that people should ask themselves about this entire thing. Why is it that such an incredibly potent piece of misinformation so easily caught on? Because Carrie's existed for a long time and has been doing this research for years. And why is it that literally all news in Western media about China in particular is presented with such a purely negative tone? particularly when there's alternative information readily available from trusted sources based in Western nations. It speaks to the propaganda that's out there about China, and it speaks to one other major factor, that despite the fact that there is so much negativity around China's international activity, we have seen when it comes to public health, in particular around COVID-19, and national development issues of infrastructure and the like, they have been a better partner to Africa than the West or the United States uh, specifically. Say whatever else you want about it, but that's obviously true. And the attempt to try to distort that must have some sort of motivation behind it. Something to think about when everyone is saying, make China the enemy, China's the enemy, it's the strategic partner, uh, strategic enemy of the United States, and we must do everything to counter it. Well, if that's the case, then why is it that so many of the slanders against it are at the very least, certainly more nuanced than presented, or in this case, just totally wrong? That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York, East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles, Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. 
And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom.